Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. We'll open together this morning to Luke chapter 10, and we'll read from the end of Luke chapter 10 and the beginning of Luke chapter 11. Our focus will be on this uh, charming little paragraph where we meet these two women at the very end of Luke chapter 10. And as we prepare to open God's word, I've got a preaching, a prayer for the preaching of the word in the church uh, that I uh, borrow from John Newton. Let's pray together. Within these walls, let holy peace and love and concord dwell. Here give the troubled conscience ease, the wounded spirit heal. The hearing ear, the seeing eye, the humbled mind bestow and shine upon us from on high to make our graces grow. This we ask, Lord Jesus, amen. We'll read together from the end of Luke chapter 10, the beginning of Luke chapter 11, but before we read the scripture, I want to clear away two big misconceptions because after all, if we're going to paint a picture, we want to start with a clean canvas. If we're going to bake a cake, we want to pour the batter into a clean pan. So these are two sort of really common but totally untrue thoughts that we have about the Bible and church and the way things work. Two big misconceptions to clear away. Misconception number one, everyone who comes to church is doing fine. That's myth number one. Everyone who comes to church is a growing Christian. Everyone who comes to church by evidence of their being at church means that their heart's in the right place and their life is oriented toward Jesus. That's the first myth, that everyone that comes to church is doing fine or even that their presence in church means that they want the right things out of life. That, sadly, is a myth because we all know that proximity to true scriptural teaching doesn't mean that personally that true scriptural teaching has saturated into your soul and changed your appetites and your affections and consequently your actions. But we assume that everybody who comes to church is doing fine. The dangerous thing for the person in my position is to assume that when people come to church, what they want is God and a man to actually declare to them what God has said. I have found over the years that many people come to church and what they want is for a preacher to reconfirm for them all of the prejudices and opinions that they already have. And if he doesn't do that, they'll switch and get a better one. We assume that when people come to church, they're, they're fine and they want God, but maybe they don't want God if God means change. God always means change. The scripture and the truth of God's word works, but it is very possible. It is commonly possible to be in proximity to scriptural teaching without being powerfully changed by that same scriptural teaching. 
And so that's the first myth, that everybody that comes to church is fine and that everyone's here because they want to really learn and grow. Second myth, bigger is better. That's the second myth. Bigger is better. In other words, as long as the number of people in the church is growing, then this is a good thing. Bigger is better. I hope we know that that's not true. I was reading a year-end story, and they say that the, the, the largest gathering of Christians in a church was just uh, maybe 40, 60 days ago when Joel Osteen did the preaching and Kanye West did the music. That's the largest number of people in church. Does that also mean that that was the best church service, or does it not? Bigger is not necessarily better. For the church, this is what we want. Not just a growing number of people. We want a number of growing people. That's the key difference. Success, so to speak, in church world is not just a growing number of people. It is a number of growing people people whose lives are being transformed by the word of God. How will we have the former, a growing number of people? Easy, just pick something popular to do and do it. And it's also very easy to measure. Just count the number of empty seats or filled seats, whichever is more. But how do we have the second thing, a number of growing people? And how do we count that? A lot harder easy to count attendance, hard to count the number of growing people because that requires relational reality, honest disclosure, and mutual accountability. This is why a huge part of our ministry is our ABFs, our adult Bible fellowships, so that those relationships of mutual disclosure and of, and of honest help and of transparency can happen and we can all be helped. But the lie is that bigger is better. That's worldly thinking. The lie is that if anybody's in church, they're just doing fine, so we don't need to slow down and really check on their soul. But by God's grace, we don't want to settle for that. Let's agree together that in 2020, we, we won't settle for that. We won't evaluate ministry just based on the number of dollars or the number of people that are here. And we won't assume that everyone who's here, we won't even assume that everyone who's serving as a leader is doing fine because that's a dangerous assumption. And so I want to come back to this charming paragraph in the end of Luke chapter 10 and show you what it really is all about. Verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 
And I want, to, I want you to keep going, even though we're not, I'm not going to exposit it, into the succeeding context, because look at what Jesus says about prayer. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation." And he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not give up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, his insistence, his loudness, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. My version says, or if he asks for Kringle, will give him Brussels sprouts. <laughs> if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, our attention's gonna be on that final paragraph in Luke 10, but I just wanted you to see what Jesus says about prayer, and in your own mind, match these things together. We meet Martha and Mary. Martha is distracted with many things. Mary has chosen the one thing needful. Martha is busy serving. Mary is simply devoted. The contrast between Martha and Mary is not a contrast between a believer and an unbeliever. The contrast between Martha and Mary is not a contrast between heaven and hell. That's why it's such an instructive contrast. In the fall of this year, uh, Darren asked me to teach all of the ABF leaders. And when it was my privilege to teach them, this was the very first text that we went to together in those times that we had together because this contrast is so instructive. These are two people who are in the right place but they're not in the right place in the right way. You see, the myth is everyone who comes to church is fine. And the myth is if there's a growing number of people in the church, the church is doing well. But it's possible to be in the right place in the wrong way. The one woman is commended for the simplicity of her activity. The other woman is confused because of the multiplicity of her activity. The one woman is distracted, the other is devoted. One woman is present, but not profiting. One, the other, is present and profiting. Which one will you be in 2020? Even if you, let's assume you continue to attend church regularly. Will you be present and not profiting, or will you be present and profiting? And how can you be sure? Mary chose the portion that endured. Martha served the plates that perish. So which is it for us? Sometimes, and this will happen in 2020, I don't want it to, but it'll happen. 
somebody will drop out of the ministry and stop attending. If that person who no longer attends is a, is a covenant member of this church, then we on the elder board, we contact them and we say part of your church covenant is that you'll attend. You need to come back to the fellowship or, or, or we'll remove you from church membership. Sometimes someone will just stop coming and we're worried about them. But what if that someone who we should worry about is still coming? What if they're here every week? This is why it's so important to get this right. There's such a thing as being busy in the right place, but in the wrong way. Notice Martha's excuse. It isn't that uh, I don't want to be around Jesus. Jesus doesn't condemn Martha for wasting her time watching nasty soap operas on Amazon Prime. Jesus doesn't condemn Martha and turn her over to the authorities for robbing banks. That's not what she's doing. She's doing stuff about Jesus without Jesus. She's working around Jesus and supposedly for Jesus. She's doing things about Jesus without Jesus. Being in church doesn't mean that somebody's doing fine. Church is not meant to merely be a growing number of people, but a number of people who are growing in the depth of their devotion to Jesus. This is why it's so important that we have relationships with each other. The preaching of the word is absolutely fundamental and primary. But the New Testament doesn't mean for the preaching of the word to be the be-all and end-all of the life of the fellowship. The preaching of the word is where it starts and then the whole body of Christ keeps it together. Man, I, I love uh, that God's called me to preach here at RBC. And I love in the wintertime sometimes to get away and warm up. But I also love being here when I'm not preaching. Last, uh, the, I think I preached last week, but the two weeks before that in our Advent series, Darren spoke once and Dan spoke once. And I was here both of those days and I just love to walk around and find people and talk to them about why they're here and, and, and what's happening in their life and how they're serving Jesus. I was here for the, I hope you were for those baptisms. Seth and Tara were baptized in the first service. Katie and Lindsay were baptized in the second service. And in that the two young women who were baptized, they each mentioned one or two women each who had influenced them. He talked about, I think, Polly, Carol, Mia, uh, Angela D'Elia. And so I, I kind of walked around. I didn't find them all, but I found a few of those women that the women who were baptized mentioned. And I just touched them on the arm and said, you know, this is, this is what it's all about. It takes one person to preach the gospel, but it takes the whole body of Christ to, to demonstrate the gospel and to to, to answer the phone, to answer the text messages, to answer the questions, to wipe the tears, to help people to grow. This is the reality of relationships, why it's so important for you to be in an ABF and possibly even in a smaller group than that, 
where you can have those conversations and that compassion and that help and that care so that your relationship with Jesus is so authentic and real. But the danger is doing things about Jesus without Jesus. That's our danger. That's what Jesus gets down to in uh, verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you know you're in trouble when they say your name twice. Like when your mom says your full name and your middle name. Or like when I'm in the office and I'm disappointed again and I'm just shaking my head from left to right saying, Darren, 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 Darren. I don't know how many times it'll happen in 2020, but it'll happen more than it should, right? Jesus says, Martha, Martha. But it's not a condemnation, I think. It's, a, it's sort of a, a diagnosis with a cure. Because he says, I see that you're doing many things, but what I want is for you to do the one thing. You know, there's a kind of even decent activity that Jesus doesn't accept. There's a kind of habitual attendance that Jesus says doesn't count because it's not abiding, it's not loving, it's not devoted, it's not worshipful. Jesus commends Mary's choice because now let's look at Mary. Verse 39, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Look at Mary's posture. She is seated. Look at Mary's pursuit. She is listening. A posture of sitting and a pursuit of listening. Sitting is the opposite in this little narrative of walking around and serving. And listening in this little narrative is the opposite of what Martha does, which is complaining, excuse-making, and comparing. So often we don't sit and listen to Jesus because we're too busy talking and comparing and criticizing and chatting. We're not listening to him. But Mary is commended for sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. It takes humility to listen instead of to talk. And it takes uh, almost a, a tranquil trust to sit instead of to try to earn and climb your way into God's favor. Just to sit and let Jesus do the work. Just to sit and trust that Jesus does it all. When we come to this table today in this service, this is not a, this is not a, this is not another way that we serve Jesus. When we come to this table, this is sitting at his feet, the feet of Calvary, and saying, He served us, He saved us. Well, what does it take to sit at Jesus' feet and to really listen to the Lord Jesus? In uh, the year 2020, I think we all should resolve to sit at the Lord's feet and to listen to him. 
want to commend to you a consistent pattern of being in the word and being in prayer so that you really have a relationship with Jesus and your attendance at church is the, is the outflow of that relationship. It's not the be-all and end-all of that relationship. How do we do this? How do we sit at the feet of Jesus and make sure that, we're, that we really are abiding in the vine? How do we do that? Well, I can tell you how I do it. Maybe there's a, there's a peculiar danger for me because the danger for me is that my, I, I, like, I have to spend time in the Bible because every week I have to get up here and say something to you about the Bible. But the danger for me is that the Bible will become sort of source material for what I'm going to yak to you about. But the Bible for me has to be a, a living link of love between my humanity and the very deity of, of, of God. It needs to be a link between my heart and the heart of Jesus. It has to be. The Bible has to be for me a fire to warm my cold heart because my heart grows cold. The Bible needs to be for me a, a strong hand to massage my weary muscles because I grow weary. It has to be that. And it has to be that for you too. You know, George Mueller, who was a godly Christian leader who took care of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of orphans, was constantly busy coming up with what to do to care for these orphans. George Mueller has a, a very famous paragraph about the most important thing in his life. And he says this, according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things is this, to see to it that my own soul is happy in the Lord Jesus. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even lay constant, urgent claims upon you. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your own soul happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and 30 years. The first and greatest business to which I must attend every day is to have my own soul happy in the Lord Jesus. You may be doing a lot of things, but are you doing the one thing necessary? So for me, for me, uh, every morning, it's pretty much, I just give you uh, two pairs Four words for me every morning. It's reading and meditation and it's praying and reflection. It's reading and meditation. It's praying and reflection. First, reading and meditation. I, every morning I read the word of God. This morning my reading was Jeremiah chapter six and I, I, I just read that chapter twice and I read it and then I slowly just meditated on it. I, I, I tried to find out like what's a, What's this saying to sinners? What's this saying to people who are doing the right thing? What's this saying about God? There were a lot of images and metaphors in there. And so I kind of, I let my mind imagine about what the different images meant that I read there in that chapter. Reading and meditation. 
Place yourself right there in the text. What is this saying about life and, and walking with God and, and, and living? Reading and meditation. And then secondly, prayer and reflection. Prayer and reflection. In my prayers, I'm, I'm thanking God for, his, for the word that he's given me. I'm, um, I'm asking for his help to put it into practice. I'm asking for his help to repent of the things that the word has just right now shown me are wrong in my life. I'm praying that this truth would blossom internally within me so that my, my, my activity would change because my affections and my desires changed. I'm, I'm, I'm asking God for illumination, not only to understand the word, but I'm asking him even for illumination into my own sins, my own deceits, and what keeps me from obeying the word. And then, of course, I'm praying for my family, my church family, and the requests that I bring with me and the burdens that I have. And as I'm reflecting on how God may, what God want, may want me to do in the day ahead. Reading and meditation, praying and reflection. This is, this is what it is. And I tell you, by God's grace, by God's grace, you've landed in a church where the, the, the elders, the ABF leaders of this church do not believe that everyone who's here is doing fine. And the elders and leaders of this church do not believe that our ultimate goal is a growing number of people. We don't believe that. I hope that even the majority of our membership doesn't believe that. I don't think they do, but certainly our leaders don't believe that. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. We believe that the, the, the things that count the most are not the things that you can count not the attendance and the budget, but it's um, faith, hope, love, worship, sanctification, joy, Christ-like character, purity of devotion to Christ. This is what we're after. Jesus commends Mary's choice. Verse 42, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. If you will choose the good portion, Jesus' promise is that it will never be taken away from you. Are you willing to make that choice today and especially in the year ahead? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as your word is preached the seed is cast out into the field. And now we ask that by your spirit, the seed would find good soil. We ask that your spirit would miraculously, sovereignly, regeneratively turn hard, rocky soil into good soil so that fruit would spring up and grow and abide and remain under the glory of Jesus Christ, through the preaching of your word. This we ask, Lord Jesus, that you may be glorified. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.